I've been working on uh, sharing with you a series on the manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this started over a year ago, maybe 16 months ago, we started on this series talking about spiritual gifts. And so far we have covered prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, and today we're going to be talking about discerning of spirits. But before we get into that, I just want to just do a quick review. I mean, we've had like seven or eight sessions on all of these. But the things about the gifts of the spirit, the thing about it is, is that it is a spiritual manifestation. And it comes from the Holy Spirit. And it's a gift. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 that these gifts are to profit us, that they're to bless us, that they're to further our walk in the kingdom of God, that God wants us to be free. He wants us to know what's happening. These things are from the heart of God, and God doesn't want us to be ignorant. Paul wrote in the very first verse of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, he said, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. And he goes on in verses four, five, and six, and he talks about there are gifts that come from God the Father. There are gifts that come from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he said, there are gifts that come from the Holy Spirit. And then he goes in and he lists those gifts, manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And so we've been working through these, trying to get some understanding, because Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to understand what these spiritual gifts can do for you in your life, the freedom that they bring you, the strength that they bring you. And today we're going to be talking about the discerning of spirits and spiritual authority. The quote that I have up there is, the discerning of spirits is about recognizing influence from the spirit realm and understanding who is exercising that authority or that influence, whether it is legitimate or illegitimate authority. And we'll define that in a moment, what is legitimate and what is illegitimate in the spirit realm. All of us come into this world as newborn infants. And the moment that we are birthed, we have not had any influence in our thinking. Everything that we learn about this world, every influence upon our lives, comes from our parents, our grandparents, our family, the things of this world. We are constantly being influenced to do something, to learn something, to know something, to act on something. That's what TV commercials are all about. And recently, in about the last five years, we've had social media influencers, you ask some of these young people, well, what do you do? Well, I'm a social media influencer, which just means that they set trends and they post it and everybody follows them and does what they says. And that's the whole point of influence is that it motivates you to do something or to be something or to say something. This is the real reason that we need discerning of spirits because we should not always do what we are being influenced to do. When I was raising teenagers, they would say, but mom, everybody else is going, or everybody else is doing it. And what's the parental reply? Well, just because everybody else is, that doesn't mean you should. And that's the same with us. 
but we don't often realize that there are two sources of influence that are influencing us, and there is one of them that we definitely should not be doing just because everybody else is doing it. Because we are not of this world, are we? We are in it, but we are not of it. And so we have to, today we're going to take a little look at what it means to have dominion over us and who is influencing us to do things. And, nope, did my thing shut off? It's there. Okay. So we're going to look at a scripture here. This is Matthew chapter 12. And this is Matthew recording uh, an event that Jesus interacted with the Pharisees. And they were accusing him of casting out demons by Beelzebub. So let's, let's read this passage. There was one brought to him, Jesus, who was demon-possessed, blind and mute. And he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. In this passage, we see that Jesus acknowledges that the devil has a kingdom. He has influence. He has dominion on this planet. But he also mentioned that his intention was to completely destroy that influence to destroy the devil's kingdom on this planet, to destroy the influence over mankind, to destroy the bondage over mankind. And this is what we have to pay attention to, is that either we are being influenced by the kingdom of darkness or we are being influenced by the kingdom of light. Let's see here. Is it going? There you go. The battle on this planet, and the Gideons were talking about this, is for the church to present to the captives of Satan's kingdom that they have an opportunity to leave the kingdom of darkness and to come into the kingdom of God where Jesus gives the Holy Spirit to lead all people into holiness. This results, the results of this living in God's kingdom look like this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So this is what we, the church, 
This is our assignment. We're, we're in a spiritual war to bring people out of darkness into God's kingdom so that they can enjoy these things in their lives. Because if we're living in the kingdom of darkness and we're all born there and we all have to be translated out, in the kingdom of darkness, the works of the flesh are evident. And this is what fills up our life if we stay there. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I will tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you know this contrast, which kingdom would you choose to participate in? What, what results would you want in your life of being part of that kingdom? This is the good news, that when we translate out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son, the good news is everything changes. We can change our quality of life because of what Jesus has done for us, because his Holy Spirit comes to live in us. When we come into the new kingdom, there's new rules. When we come into the kingdom of God, we need to unlearn some things and replace them with truth. We discover we're operating under bad habits. We discover we have mindsets that need changing. So we need to examine our own hearts. This is the first kind of discerning of spirits. Now there's, we're going to talk about, there's actually four ways there is the manifestation of the gift of the Spirit to help us discern spirits. But the Bible actually talks about four ways that we can discern our spirit, other people's spirits, demonic spirits. And we're going to talk about demons in a little bit, just so you know. Don't get uncomfortable about that because the truth will set us free and give us peace and comfort. So Luke records this testing of the Apostle John. We always think of John as being the one, the apostle of love, whom Jesus loved. And John was, when he writes 1 John, he's all about love. But here is a passage when he was tested, and it, twice he was tested to see what spirit he was walking in. Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbid him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? He turned and rebuked them and he said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. And now as it happened on the journey on the road, that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. In this passage, we see John assuming something. There was an Old Testament example of this, but Jesus doesn't operate under the Old Testament, does he? He came to bring a new covenant to us, a new covenant of life, 
a new covenant of love. And so in this passage, John is being tested to see what spirit he is of. And we need to examine our own hearts. Are we walking in the spirit of love? Are we allowing other things influence us? So I want to talk for a minute about temptation and authority. In February, I preached on overcoming temptation. And the reason that message came about was because as I was preparing for the discerning of spirits, I realized, for example, John's example, that there were several passages of Scripture that talked about Christians, believers, getting in trouble because their heart attitude, their spirit, wasn't right. They had been tempted by the enemy to say something or to do something that was not from the kingdom of God. It was really from the realm of the kingdom of men under the influence of the enemy. And so with temptation, we have to understand a couple things here. And it's related to authority because if you fail a temptation, the enemy will bring condemnation to you and tell you you can't take authority over him because you just failed, because you just committed a sin. He's going to try to condemn you so you won't take your authority over him because he doesn't want you to take authority over him. He wants you in bondage to condemnation because it renders Christians ineffective and they don't share the gospel when they feel condemned or inadequate. So until we understand we can be swayed by temptations and learn to overcome them, we will not understand our position of godly authority over evil originates from the place of God's grace and mercy. Our position of authority and victory over evil was given to us as a gift that we did not earn. We cannot lose it by our behavior, whether in temptation or victory. God does not limit our godly authority according to our successes or failures. However, we do need to be aware there are two sources of authority in the earth, one legitimate and one illegitimate, which is the devil's. The devil teaches all humanity his ways from our natural birth. We must renounce these things and unlearn them. They do not come from a place of faith in God, the father of our recreated spirit. So I want us to understand that your authority cannot be influenced by any temptations that you face because it was given to you. Jesus gave it to all who believe on him and all who believe in his name, he says in the end of Mark chapter 16. So, do we know what our spiritual authority over the devil is? It's important that we do because every day you are interacting in the natural world and the spirit world. Even today, there are angels and demons in our midst at this very moment because they arrived with you in this room. Because there's people here, there are angels and demons here. We can't, we can't perceive them with our natural senses. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. I want to tell you a story of something that literally happened to my husband and I in our own home. Many years ago, this has been over 20 years, um, there was a young couple who wanted um, discipling, Bible study. And they asked us, would you, would you lead us in a Bible study? And so, we, yeah, we'll do that because we knew their marriage was struggling and we really wanted to help them and encourage them and strengthen them. And I don't know, we were like five or six weeks in. And one evening after we were done studying the Bible, we always prayed. We always prayed for needs, prayed together. And so I asked, is, is there any prayer need? Do you want any prayer for anything? And the man says, I just am so tired all the time. I just, 
feel heavy and fatigued, would you pray for me? And Doug and I said, sure, we'll pray for you. And at that time, our living room was sort of long, and, and we had the sofa halfway across the room. So I went around the back side of the sofa, and he was sitting there. And I laid his hands, my hands on top of his shoulders. And uh, I just said, Holy Spirit, will you come and refresh him? Will you pour out a new blessing on him? And the creepiest voice came out of his mouth. It said, no, you can't have him. And so, you know, the hair on the back of your neck stands up and on your arms it all stands up. And I looked at his wife and she looked at me and she took the baby and went in the other room with my kids. <laughs> I was caught off guard, needless to say. And, you know, all these thoughts are floating through my head. And I looked at my husband. He just looked at me. <laughs> he was like, and I said in my spirit, I said, just in a matter of seconds, I knew if I backed down that those spirits would stay in my house. And I knew that was not acceptable because this is where my family lives. And I knew I had to take authority over it. I'd never done that before. I knew it was possible. I'd read the Bible. And so I said, Holy Spirit, it's you and me. And the older I get, the more I think the Holy Spirit's the answer to everything. <laughs> and one by one, he told me, take authority over this spirit. And I did. And then I said, is there more? And the Holy Spirit said, take authority over this spirit. And I did. Six times. And at that point, he was curled up in a fetal position laying on the couch. And I said, Lord, there's still something here. And he said, oh, Holy Spirit said to me, that's the easiest one. That's the spirit of fear. He said, take authority over spirit of fear. And I took authority over the spirit of fear. And it left him. He sat up on the sofa, <sighs> took a deep breath, and he said, I feel so light. And at that moment, I started pleading the blood of Jesus over, <laughs> over my house, over my family, over him, over his family. I put my hands back on his shoulders, because at that point, I took my hands off with all that craziness going on. Put my hands back on his shoulders, and I said, Holy Spirit, fill him afresh. Strengthen him. I got no objection. The de demons don't like to share space with the Holy Spirit, is what I concluded. And well, they shouldn't. <laughs> We have to know what our authority is in the spirit realm. And demons attach themselves to us and through familial things. You know, we, we talk about some families have a history of alcoholism. Some ha families have a, a history of cancer. Some ha families have histories of various things. And those are familiar spirits that when a member of that family passes on, that spirit moves into another family member and attaches itself to them. And what we don't understand is that we have authority over that. We do not have to allow that in our family bloodline. We can cast it out. We can take authority over it. Okay, so I want to talk about oppression versus possession real quick. First of all, God's angels do not oppress you or possess you. They minister life to you. Okay, just so you know the difference. 
Demons are angelic spirits too, but they have a completely different agenda. Demons can oppress the Christian soul, literally hanging on you in the spirit realm like bats on a wall. Have you ever seen a bat get in your house, your garage, and they fly all around and then they want to hang up somewhere high on the wall? You know, when we come out of the kingdom of darkness, we're all a little batty. We are. I mean, we, we've been in the kingdom of darkness, and there have been things attached to us that need to go. And most of the time, we don't realize it until we start renewing our mind in God's word. And the word is like a mirror, and it shows us what we need to clean up. And so when we're in God's word and we realize, you know, maybe the cussing thing ought to go because the word says that my words should edify and bless people. And so, you know, you cut off that spirit of, of cursing. And, and so there are things that, that we choose because Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth sets you free. When we get in the word and renew our mind, we want to be set free from stuff. And we choose to cast off those bats that are hanging on us one by one as the truth comes to us. And we get freer and freer and freer. We as Christians have that authority. Now, demons can also possess the soul of a person who does not have the spirit of Christ in them. And they need other people to deliver them. You know, we, Jesus met the demoniac in um, was it Gadara, and he said he had a legion of demons in him. There's no way that man could deliver himself. Jesus or someone else needed to take authority over that. Demons cannot attach themselves to the human spirit, only the soul, because only our creator who created our spirit with his breath can touch our spirit. Okay? So just to keep uh, some basic things there. All right, so don't be afraid of when demons manifest. In Acts 10.38, Jesus healed all that were oppressed of the devil by casting out demons. And James 4.7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We don't have to be afraid because Jesus gave us authority over these things. Now, John tells us that there's a greater one living inside of us. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. But you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So Jesus gave us authority over the devil. You know, every time Jesus commissioned his, his apostles to go out two by two, the 70, he never once said, when you get out there, watch out for the devil. He never said that. He said, oh, be careful when you're talking to demons. He never, ever put fear in them about that. He told them that he gave them power and authority over the enemy. Jesus sent 70 people out to preach the kingdom of God in Luke chapter 10. And when they came back, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the subjects are 
that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Jesus considered the fact that the demons have to obey us sort of as a, yeah, that's the way it is here. In the kingdom of God, that's the way it is. He was saying the big thing is you guys get to go to heaven. That's what he was excited about. Okay, so now we're going to talk about legitimate authority and counterfeit authority because somebody is constantly influencing us and we want to understand which kingdom this is coming from. The authority of the kingdom of God and our identity in the kingdom of God has direct bearing on the gift of discerning of spirits. The discerning of spirits is when the Holy Spirit reveals which kingdom a spirit or a person swayed by it represents whether it is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness. Your ability to operate in the discerning of spirits, discerning between those who have true authority or false authority, depends on your perspective of authority and to whom you have submitted your life. Paul wrote to the Roman church about who they submitted themselves to. And he says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now that phrase, you have obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine to which you were delivered. There are doctrines of demons, and Jesus said he came sharing the doctrine of his Father, the kingdom of heaven. Which doctrine you decide to believe in, that's the one you're delivered into. When you're presented with the gospel, the good news of God's kingdom, it tells us that Jesus translates us, or God translates us into the kingdom of, of his dear son when we believe that gospel from the heart. So it's really important that we understand that there's doctrines of demons in the world, even trying to influence the church to corrupt the church. And this is part of discerning what spirits are doing in our midst. The New Testament letters describe true and false Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and, evangelism, and evangelists. So what makes them legitimate or illegitimate? Well, how you view this depends on the kingdom you're in. Colossians 1 ascribes all things in the universe to Jesus Christ as being created by him and for him. And this makes Jesus Christ the king and the kingdom of God the legitimate and true authority in the spirit realm. And we're going to look at this here. This is Paul writing to the Colossian church. And this is a powerful, powerful statement about the kingdom of God. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the church, 
head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. The scripture right here tells us who has the true legitimate authority on this planet, the creator of it. He's, he's the one with the legitimate authority. The devil is a usurper. So whether we're describing apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, invisible things, visible things, thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, their assignment as being true or false, legitimate or illegitimate, depends on which kingdom they have pledged their allegiance to. So from this perspective, we find the true authority of the kingdom of God given to all of us who participate in it. We also find that there's a counterfeit authority of the kingdom of darkness with all who choose to participate in it, which are demons, and those who are unwittingly born under its sway and sentence of death, and that's our naturally born brothers and sisters. The discerning of spirits is when the Holy Spirit reveals which kingdom a spirit or a person who is swayed by a spirit is representing and associated with whether it be the kingdom of darkness and the devil or the kingdom of God and the son of his love. So why is it important that we understand this discerning of spirits? Because Satan is an expert at deception, making evil look attractive and twisting the meaning of scriptures like he did with Christ in the wilderness. Because evil doctrine, the doctrine of devils, can appear as enlightenment, but it's actually deception which leads us to bondage of spirit, mind, and body. Jesus told us if we know the truth, it makes us free. In the church here in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul describes deceitful apostles, deceitful workers creeping into the church. Well, went forward too many. He says, but what I do, I will continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostle of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, who, whose end will be according to their works. So, you know, you wonder why churches sometimes get weird and blow up and just do dumb things, because... The doctrine of devils has subtly crept in and begun to corrupt the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a phenomenon as far as far back as 2,000 years ago it was happening. So the genuine and the counterfeit. Satan has counterfeit for God's ways to deceive and ensnare people. For Christ, we find the counterfeit of Antichrist. For two prophets, we find the counterfeit of false apostles and their scriptures. After these, just you can see that it's in the Bible. For two apostles, we find the counterfeit of false apostles. For two teachers, we find the counterfeit of false teachers. For two pastors, we find the counterfeit of false pastors. I went forward too far. For two evangelists, we find counterfeit false evangelists. For two spiritual sheep, we found the counterfeit of wolves in sheep clothing. For true wheat of the harvest, we find the counterfeit tares. For holy angels, we find the counterfeit of unclean demonic spirits. 
For the spirit of truth, we find the father of lies. For the word of truth, we find the counterfeit of seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. This is why we need to know how to discern between what's true and what's false. Because the enemy has counterfeits out there all over the place. And unless you have the spirit of God and the word of God witnessing on the inside of you what is true, you could get, you could get caught up in, in something that you really don't want to be in. So we're going to talk about genuine authority from the kingdom of God and how to operate in it. And we're going to talk about this because in a minute we're going to talk about how we operate in, counter, in, in the counterfeit illegitimate authority. It's what the devil teaches us to operate in. And that rebellion to God, we're going to get there in a second. Samuel told Saul, rebellion is as witchcraft. And when we were looking earlier at the works of the flesh, sorcery, which is also translated witchcraft, was in there. <clears throat> and I'm not saying that to make you go, ooh, ooh you know, it's, 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 we're going to take the spookiness out of it. It's a work of the flesh. It's what it is. But let's first talk about genuine authority and what it actually is and how we need to be submitted to God's authority. Romans 13 tells us all authority comes from God. True spiritual authority originates and operates in the grace of God. The more authority or influence that we have, the more grace is needed to walk in humility. And folks, every single believer on the planet has the same amount of authority. They may not have the same position or responsibility, but they have the same amount of authority. Jesus didn't deal out authority in different scales of measure. We all have the same authority over the enemy, full power, full on. Jesus said, I come to destroy the works of the devil, and that's what we're supposed to do too. So just so you know that. Authority is always delegated. Jesus delegates it to us. In Matthew 28, he says, go and he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. You go, therefore. We only have spiritual authority to the degree we submit to the Holy Spirit following the king of righteousness because true authority in the kingdom of God is established in righteousness. True spiritual authority is not derived from a position, but from the grace of God. All saints have the same level of spiritual authority. However, they do not have the same positions of responsibility and service. You must abide under authority to the one who delegated you that authority in order to remain under authority. If you decide to go rogue, deal's off. You have no authority if you decide to rebel against God. Human submission to authority is always voluntary. Otherwise, it is slavery. And this is important to understand because when we get into counterfeit authority and people are using witchcraft to manipulate, control people, it's a form of spiritual slavery. Power, the ability to use your authority, is expected to manifest. When God gives you authority, he always expects you to use the power of the Holy Spirit to, to use that authority. True spiritual authority is given to us to serve and restore others. That's the purpose of it, to serve and restore others. When we submit ourselves to God in humility, he will lift us up and place us in the position of, that he created for us. And that's the position of influence that will register into eternity. The people that you influence, you're going to change their lives. We must resist temptation in our position when using authority. The devil wants to corrupt us. 
You've heard that phrase that absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. That's a thing of the flesh. That's when the flesh gets in there. When we stay submitted in humility to God, we won't be corrupted. When we listen to the Holy Spirit, he leads us in holiness and righteousness. Positions of authority are not an honor but a responsibility to be borne by seeking the Lord's directions. Any presumption on our part will lead to our spiritual fall and those that follow us. Jesus gives us authority to subdue the devil, not to oppress other people. Remember when uh, the sons of Zebedee, his, his, um, their mother came to Jesus and says, let one sit on the right hand and one sit on the left hand. And, and Jesus had a little talk and he says, you know, in the world, the Gentiles use these positions to lord over people, to subdue them, to submit, to um, oppress them. And he says in the kingdom of God, that's not how we do things. We do things by serving each other. Okay, so we're going to look at counterfeit authority just for a second here. Counterfeit authority is seized or usurped. It's from the enemy who seized his authority by taking a third of the angels of heaven, corrupting them with him. It wasn't sanctioned by God. We do it as humans in a moment of temptation because we feel insecure there's a need for self-preservation, there's self-interest, pride, or unforgiveness. We need to be in control. And we do not have the mindset that God is enough for us. So we take matters into our own hands to feel secure because our faith isn't placed on God. Counterfeit authority grabs for a position under the assumption that a position will delegate you authority and security and offer you an opportunity to dictate your circumstance and control it. People in counterfeit authority are not submitting to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Fear is the leading voice. Their life circumstances seem bigger than God. Okay, so now we're going to get into this idea of witchcraft here. Rebellion to God is the dangerous spiritual position that counterfeit authority operates from, no matter what title or position is assumed on earth. I don't care if you're a pastor in a church. If you're operating in rebellion to God, God doesn't recognize spiritual authority from the kingdom of God. He knows exactly what's going on. If you're using manipulation and soulish things, he knows, God knows exactly what's going on. It doesn't matter what your title is or your position is anywhere in any organization. Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, seeking your own way. No form of outward penance can compensate for a rebellious heart. Samuel told King Saul, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected you from being king. People operating in counterfeit authority operate in witchcraft and people in counterfeit authority lead others and teach others to practice witchcraft. So what is witchcraft? Witchcraft is practiced by people and counterfeit spiritual authority who are controlled by a spirit other than the Holy Spirit, which that evil spirit rebels against. And this is the reason that this spirit um, is wanting to control, because it wants to dominate, manipulate, control, or compel others to align with their own self-serving. Witchcraft is the practice of cursing others with words, manipulating them, speaking doom or ill or condemnation, censure or reviling them if they do not cooperate with your agenda. 
Paul names witchcraft or sorcery as the work of the flesh. It originates in the carnal man, but it usually leads into us cooperating with demonic powers and rebellion against God. And Paul clearly said in Galatians 5 that those who practice witchcraft will not enter the eternal kingdom of God. So when we establish ourselves in counterfeit authority operating in witchcraft, we don't have any peace because we're constantly trying to hold this together ourselves. We, we constantly have to manipulate one more person to keep the program going. And so we, we stress ourselves out trying to keep our position because we're operating in a spirit that is not of God. So... King Saul feared losing the support of people and rebelled against God's directions. And that path of fear of man ultimately led him down to the point where he actually went to the witch of Endor for advice from the demonic spirit realm. When we have deceived ourselves into thinking the devil can help us, we have fully placed ourselves under his control and will suffer his ills. We have set ourselves up for complete failure. God is not fooled, neither are people, and neither is the enemy who has watched us operate in rebellion against God's ways. We have opened our heart to the demonic. But all may not be lost, beloveds. We still have opportunity to repent, so let's don't let fear decide what's going to happen to us. And we're going to get to how do we get out from under this in a second. But I want you to see what the consequences are when we try to control people through manipulation, and different things. The first thing that happens to the people under your illegitimate authority is that discouragement becomes something that is evident because you're not encouraging them because everything you do, every decision you make is about your self-preservation. And then eventually that discouragement leads into confusion, that the people under you lose clarity of what's required of them. They don't understand what's happening to them because they're being manipulated. And then depression. People dread coming around us when we operate in this counterfeit spiritual authority. We just don't want to go to church anymore because that elder does this or says this, and I just don't feel good about that. And then we lose our vision for life or our ministry, we begin to doubt that God's called us because another person is imposing their agenda and their will on us. They're not letting us be free to be who God called us to be. We become disoriented. We lose our spiritual compass and sense of purpose. We feel lost. We withdraw from that situation or that establishment, we are tempted to cut ties and leave the church or the organization wherever this is operating. Despair comes on us because we consider that situation as hopeless. We're tempted to give up, which leads us into defeat. We have surrendered our will to overcome that situation. We are alienated from our church. Our faith in God is abandoned, and we believe God has abandoned us. You see, this, this is a downward spiral when an organization buys into this counterfeit authority, and they control people through all kinds of manipulations, and whether it's guilt or shame, or if you want to be accepted, you have to come to this meeting, or you have to attend this or do this if you want to be in good standing. When we do these things, this is going to be the consequences in our organization. It's eventually, people are going to leave because there's no life there, and they don't feel good about what's going on. 
So how do we overcome this? If we're the ones being affected, the first thing we have to do is recognize that any of that downward spiral experience is not from God. And we have to resist the effects of this on our lives. And how you resist is up to you. As Christians, Christ tells us that if we're offended with someone, if we have an issue, that we should go and we should talk to them. And if they don't hear us, take another brother or sister. And if they don't hear us, take an elder. And then if they don't hear us, then it's probably time for you to leave that situation, that establishment, because you're not going to get free from it as long as you're there. If they won't hear the truth of God's word, you're not going to get free from it. So what we need to do is find other believers who are strong and stay connected with them. We shouldn't take on any condemnation if we feel that we were defeated by the enemy in this. This is what we need to do. We submit the situation to God for resurrection, restoration, and demonstration of his power. If you have been cut adrift, you feel like you've lost your hope, your ministry, your purpose in life, that the enemy has just dumped on you, and you feel like it's all gone. I don't know what I'm going to do. Turn it over to God, because he is the God of restoration. He is the God of restoration and resurrection. He'll take care of this. The devil never has the last word if we turn it over to God. Jesus came for this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he would destroy the works of the devil. That's the whole reason that Jesus came. And so we can trust God to restore us. We use the blood of the lamb. We use the word of our testimony. We speak the word over the situation. We speak the word over our life. We submit ourselves to God. And that bottom one, number seven, because witchcraft is counterfeit spiritual authority. We will only be completely free from it if we ourselves learn to be completely submitted to the authority of God led by the Holy Spirit. So what, what if we discern that we've been doing this to other people? What if we recognize that we've been operating in counterfeit authority? And it can be as subtle as, when we, I'm going to give you an example. When I was first married to my husband, I am a, I'm a verbal person. I can argue my way out of anything. I could twist it around, and I could make it look like I could get anything I wanted and just beat him down with verbal argument. And we were married, I don't know, maybe two years. The Holy Spirit smacked me up beside of the head one day, and he said, you stop that. He was pretty firm with me. You stop that. You stop trying to argue that you are right in every situation. Because I wanted to be right. You know, it's our human pride. We want to be right. And so I was manipulating him, making him feel guilty if I didn't get my way. I, whatever I wanted, you know, I just, I just unleashed the whole shebang on him to get him to do what I wanted him to do. That's witchcraft. That's spiritual manipulation. That's spiritual slavery. Trying to put him into bondage to my will. And the Holy Spirit said to me, you quit that. And so I listened. And I began to not feel like I always had to have the last word. And by the grace of God, I rarely argue with him. Right, honey? only when I get my will. <laughs> okay, so if we feel like we've been doing this, we just, we repent. And, and we trust God and his plan. We guard against self-centeredness, self-destiny, self-help. 
we resist the devil uh, with complete determination that, that we have won the war in Christ. He has done everything for us already. Then we can overcome the devil's schemes. We learn to walk in God's authority. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. We speak blessing over people, not cursing. We refuse to become offended and speak ill of others. We continue to renew our mind and we grow in the Lord and we carefully listen to the Holy Spirit lead us, depending on him to reveal spirits who are attempting to influence us. So, okay, so we're going to wrap this up here. We're going to finish up. We're in the last quarter of this. Three more modes of discerning spirits. We examine our hearts. John told us in one of his letters about trying or testing the spirits. And then there's scripture that talks about weighing the witness of the word of God in our spirit. And then there's the spiritual gift of discerning of spirits. So we're going to go through these real quick. John wrote, we already read this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they be of God. And that's, that's what this is based on, and because of the time we're going we're gonna to go through this. So how do we test the spirits? Will the people confess that Jesus has come in the flesh? Jesus is Lord. He's here right now. Or do they say he's just another prophet? Is he the son of God? Or is he another prophet? Do they receive the word of truth? Do they live righteously? Do they walk in love toward the brethren? Jesus said, check the fruit. What is the result? So that's trying or testing the spirit. This is if we come in contact with someone on a regular basis. And, we, and sometimes all you have to do is listen to people. And the words they say, you'll know right away where they're at if you listen closely. The second thing is allow the word of God to weigh the situation. Hebrews says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. For you've come to need milk and are not, and, and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use, use of the word, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Do you remember the old time balance scales? You know, the post with the arm and then there's the pans hanging down with weights. When we allow the word to weigh a situation, what we're doing is we're, we're stacking up the word that we know that it fits the situation on one side of the balance scale and then we're looking at what's actually happening. And I'll tell you, if, if, if what's actually happening doesn't match the word and things are out of balance, then you know that this is not God. This, you discern by the word. If it doesn't line up with the word, you know this is not of God. Hebrews 4 tells us, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And this is really applying to us. You know, if, if we're wanting to have a pure heart, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let the word discern your heart. We need to train our palate 
There's a beautiful verse in Isaiah 7. It says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. We need to fill up on the good things of God's word. In the end times, which I believe we're hurling into those at a rapid pace here, Paul said in the end times, the Spirit expressly says that some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. These are church members. I personally know of two or three people from years ago. I mean, one was a worship leader. He is now an atheist, renouncing all the things of God. He has been deceived. Church people who were believers, who were ministering to others, who were leading people to Christ, who fall away because of deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience. And this comes through people. This doctrine of demons and deceiving spirits, it comes through people who creep into the church. And it leads the church astray. And Paul's talking about the legalism it leads them into there in 1 Timothy. 1 John, John writes about those who are trying to deceive you. 2 John, warring against those who do not abide in the doctrine of Christ. Paul writes in Hebrews, do not be carried away with various and strange doctrines. These deceptions are from the enemy to take you back into the kingdom of darkness. Now the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is a power manifestation. The word manifestation means a public display of power and purpose. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one of us for the profit of all. For to each one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But the one and same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now these are manifestations. They are not a gift that stays resident on you. It's for a specific purpose, to address a specific situation. And when we look at discerning of spirits, we can see in, in the book of Acts, we'll see here in a minute some instances real quick, discerning of spirits is the gift of spiritual insight to discern the spirit which motivates another person, whether it is in truth, godly, or in error, demonic, or holy. It comes from the Holy Spirit, and it's a gift, and we cannot demand that it comes to us. The purpose of it is to identify good and evil, confront and root out evil, and identify truth and receive it. Peter received a gift of discerning of spirits in Acts chapter 5, and he said it was a lying spirit. And this was Ananias and Sapphira, where they made up this little pact together to sell land and take part of the price of it and keep it to themselves, but lie to the apostles and give the apostles the rest of it and say, but this is all of it. And Peter makes this really interesting comment here about three lines down. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And even after it was sold, 
Was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived these things in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And we know the story that Ananias and Sapphira both died that day because they had agreed to lie. Peter says that they allowed Satan to fill their heart with a lie. Now, these were believers. I find this story scary. That, that greed, the temptation of greed, caused them to lie to the Holy Spirit, to lie to God. And this is why we need to be aware, discern our own hearts first, because the Holy Ghost knows what's going on. And Peter received this discerning of spirits to call this out and say, this isn't going to be in the church. We're not going to let this spirit of lying stay in the church. We need the discerning of spirits from the Holy Spirit to keep us from the foolishness of the natural man, which cannot receive the Spirit's wisdom. Now, for Paul, the discerning of spirits came in Acts 16. His spirit was grieved. There was a fortune-telling girl following him around saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God. These men are the servants of the Most High God. Listen to them. And it grieved Paul in his spirit. He knew something wasn't right. And see, the thing is that the people in that village had associated her with the demonic, with witchcraft. And for her to go around saying, I'm validating that these men are, you know, is saying, well, that witchcraft is dominant and we know what's really going on and we're in control, blah, blah, blah. Paul said, no, we're not having any of that. He turned around. He says, come out of her in Jesus' name. And then we see in Acts chapter 8, Simon the sorcerer came to Christ. But when he saw the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he wanted to have Peter lay hands on him. And uh, he was going to give him money for it. And Peter rebuked him, and he said, no, your heart's not right. Peter discerned what his heart was by the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 12, Peter had been arrested. He was asleep in a prison. In the middle of the night, an angel struck him and said, get up, I'm taking you out of here. And Peter thought he didn't know what was going on. He was dreaming. He didn't know what this was. But finally, it came to him by a discerning. Now I know God sent an angel to deliver me. So discerning of spirits helps us to know what's really going on around us. Even in, we can't see someone's heart. We can't see someone's spirit. I mean, the fortune teller didn't have uh, the spirit of Python written on her forehead. So we have to have the Holy Spirit help us with these things. Now, Jesus discerned Nathaniel, sorry about that, and this was in a good way. When he saw Nathaniel, he said, here is a man who has no guile, who has no deceit. So discerning of spirits can work the other way, too, or it can approve what is good. But then we get to Peter. And this was when Jesus was teaching them the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke these things openly. Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Here's this faithful disciple who got into a wrong spirit. But Jesus summed it up here. This is the reason we get in trouble. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. That's the reason we get in trouble and into a wrong spirit, which we need to repent about. 
But that's the reason we get in trouble, for we're not mindful about the things of God. We're not listening to the Holy Spirit, but we're mindful of the things of men. I want to tell you, too, as we're trying to discern spirits and what God is doing, and sometimes these manifestations of the Spirit, I have heard people over the years say, well, my left shoulder hurts, so therefore God must want to heal people on their left shoulder. Or my knee hurts, so therefore God must want to heal people in the right knee. And I want to warn us that that's probably a familiar spirit. That is probably demonic. Because there is absolutely no example of Jesus or the apostles ever operating in the gifts of spirit that way. The Holy Spirit does not speak to flesh. He speaks to your spirit. Okay? So I just want to warn us to be careful. Now, that's not to say that we cannot experience manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes if the Spirit of God is so strong in the room, people will shake or they'll weep or they'll feel warmth. And that can manifest on us. But what I'm saying is don't let your flesh lead you. That's the bottom of that because you can get into the demonic and you can get in trouble. Two more slides to go. What this asserting of spirits is not. This is not a license to judge others. Unless the Holy Spirit specifically urges judgment, as in the case of Paul speaking blindness over the sorcerer Elimus, who was hindering his witness. Paul just got tired of the guy interrupting him, and he just said, you just be blind in Jesus' name. He, he was just done with this. The situation was just, ah. So it is not a permission to go on a witch hunt looking for demons in other people. It is not intended to condemn others or label them unfit. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of love. And in the midst of discerning of spirits, there is the love of God to deliver a person into freedom. Jesus only cast out spirits that manifested or spoke to him. The disciples followed the same pattern. They did not go looking for trouble. They were not casting demons out of door handles. That used to be a thing. There's only been two times I've had demons manifest in my presence. One was the story I told you about. The second was a woman who was fighting cancer. She asked me to pray for her. I prayed the same prayer. Holy Spirit, come and refresh her and restore her. And I got the same response. No, we are not. Again, I'm taken off guard. So I took authority over that spirit. From those two instances, I have come to the conclusion that if you pray for someone to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit and there's a demon there, he's going to talk to you. He doesn't want to share space. And the Holy Spirit won't share space. I don't go looking for trouble, but I've had that happen to me twice in my lifetime. So I'm saying to you, don't go look for trouble, but do know that you have authority when you get in a situation like that. Love guides the discerning of spirits. And remember, there's a human being who is loved by God caught in the middle of that. Unless we forget how easy it is to assume things from the natural point of view, we should remember Peter getting in trouble. So, the discerning of spirits and spiritual authority. 
The discerning of spirits is about recognizing influence from the spirit realm and understanding who is exercising that authority, whether it's legitimate or illegitimate. If it's illegitimate authority that's manifesting, like a demon in your living room on your couch, take authority over it. Don't let that demon back you down. You can also exercise your authority in prayers. You have nothing to fear from the enemy, and the Holy Spirit will guide you in any situation you find yourself. Sometimes when missionaries get overseas, weird things happen. They run into witch doctors and people who actively engage the occult. Unless the Holy Spirit leads you, there is no way for you to know how to defeat that. You have to listen to the Holy Spirit. You have to be engaged with what he's doing and follow his directions exactly. And then you can have peace. You will know you have the victory because you're submitted to God. You're under God's authority. You are living for the kingdom of righteousness. And because you know that you're in great relationship with God and that authority is flowing from the heaven, from heaven's throne through Jesus down to you, you have nothing to be afraid of. You are fully equipped to do the work that God calls you to do. Okay? That's it, folks. <laughs> I'm going to have Isaac come up here. <laughs>